You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. For everything, for everything indie, for everything cults, it's the Blue Horseshoe now. Here's your host, George Bremer and Ryan Hickey. And welcome back into another edition of the Blue Horseshoe Podcast. Ryan Hickey and George Bremer here with you. We apologize for not having a post-game pod after Sunday's debacle of a loss to the Giants. I was away for that weekend, so I am sorry about that. But we are back here in the midweek pod, reacting still a little bit to some of the ripple effects from that loss and the road finale here as the Giants uh, as the Giants beat the Colts. They click the playoff spot and the Colts now are one game away to from mercifully ending this awful, awful, awful season. We'll discuss some of the things we saw um, in that game as well. There's one thing I think where if there's talks and Jim Mercer still thinks he's hiring Jeff Saturday, I think there's one thing we saw on Sunday absolutely should eliminate him from any sort of potential full-time candidacy. Jim Harbaugh's rumor uh, name is back in the NFL mill. We'll talk about how he, uh, or should say, how the Colts stack up to make some other potential suitors as well. George, it's it's the last midweek pod we will have, at least with a game to talk about uh, on Sunday. It's it's been a long season. It's been a dramatic first season here on the Blue Horseshoe Podcast. But man, oh man, it is mercifully at least this this brutal season, one of the worst seasons we have seen in, in over twenty years. Mercifully, is coming to an end. Yeah, you can argue. Uh, there's been worse records, but you can argue pretty successfully that this is the worst season of, of Jim Irsay's ownership. I mean, when, yeah. when you go through, uh, they've obviously had down years before, but they've all had to do, since he's took over, they've all had to do with injured quarterbacks and things of that nature that you can kind of write off. Um, this one, from from an expectations coming in standpoint to, you know, chaos and, and, and everything else that's happened during the course of the year, I think it's number one. Without that, like I said, when you have, you know, in 2011, when Andrew Luck has, uh, when Peyton Manning's a neck surgery, obviously in 2017, when Andrew Luck is, you're right, the records are worse. But, I mean, you talk about a fall from grace, the expectations compared to what the actual reality is, all the drama, all, all everything that just could have gone wrong for the most part has gone wrong this year. You said, I'm with you there. I think it's of all the years uh, and uh, brutality we've seen, not too much, thankfully, but all this, that, I think by far this is, the worst year of Jim Mercy's ownership. So congrats, Jim. At least there's one more uh, one more game left to kind of put a capper on that. We will, though, start on a, a somber note, and that is as we still record this on a Wednesday afternoon, uh, DeMar Hamlin, Bill's defensive back, is still in the hospital. Now there's slowly some signs that he is getting better, but still just a bone-chilling scene from Monday night where he gets hurt, and momentarily his heart stops on the field, something we've never really seen before. It's a sober reminder, Georgia, and an unfortunate reminder that truly, like, you know, we, we talk about football, we get excited every single Sunday. You know, plenty of players kind of talk about having like a, a war-like mentality when you're on the field and being a warrior. But unfortunately, we did see the reality of that. And that is, while it's a game, while it's a, a game we all enjoy and love, it's still a game that is highly, highly, highly dangerous. And if, you know, you get hit the wrong angle or the wrong time, 
we could see there would be some tragic, tragic results. Yeah, I mean, um, obviously, uh, everybody's still all their prayers are, are with uh, Demar Hamlin right now and his family, and and really the whole Bills organization and the Bengals too. I mean, I can't imagine being on that field uh, in seeing that incident take place. Talked to a lot of guys in a locker room Wednesday in Indianapolis uh, who were watching on TV uh, and and are still shook by it. I mean, I, I've never seen anything uh, affect guys in the locker room the way this has in terms of. Um, you know, guys just talking about understanding their own mortality a little bit, uh, but also just the human reaction, you know, forget about what could happen to them, just the human reaction of watching one of their brothers. I mean, that's the thing about this league, that 1% of, of the population or something like that makes it uh, to the NFL. When, when you're there, even if you're, you know, you've never met, uh, these guys feel very connected to each other. You know, you're on one of these 32 teams. And so, even for them just watching at home, a lot of them were watching with their families, trying to explain to their kids what, what's going on. Um, just that human aspect of it alone is, is very unique. Um, and, I, and I think, you know, obviously we, we've never really seen anything like it happen in the NFL before. Hopefully we never see it again. Um, right. I think it's certainly something that you don't want to see a common thing. Right now, uh, if the cause is what sort of is being speculated at the moment, you know, it, I don't even know that's a football thing, honestly. It's it's a freak accident. It, it's the type of thing, um, if it is this, this, this you know, sudden cardiac arrest, um, it's happened in baseball, it happened in hockey, it happened in, in uh, I know there was at least one college lacrosse player who unfortunately fell victim to this. Um, it's it's just, it's it's a life and death thing. You know, it's, it's not about the games it's not about i will say this the medical staff in cincinnati deserves a huge amount of credit here uh getting out there and, and at least to this point uh possibly saving demar hamlin's life um i do think there might not have been a better city for him in, to be in the nfl uh when this happened i know that the uh the medical center there in cincinnati is one of the top in in the world uh when it comes to to heart you know that that whole medical yeah that 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 whole area of of medicine is really top notch there um so i think that's one of the fortunate things here but just you know and i, I think the least important thing about this a lot of people keep talking about you know, what are they gonna do about the game what are they gonna do about the playoffs you know, lack of a better word who cares right now i mean uh i, I guarantee you pittsburgh new england the jets uh the Bengals, the bills you're not going to hear a peep from players or coaches there about anything that happens to their playoff fate as a result to this. Uh, this is about DeMar Hamlin and, and finding a way uh, to carry on in a way that respects him and that, you know, respects the game. I, I really don't think the playoff organization, the playoff implications, those are so far secondary in here that it at this point it doesn't even matter. And you're right. It's just like 100% right, George. Because life, obviously, uh, above anything else, is more important. Um, and it's just, it's, it's a sobering reminder because, like I said, we love this game. We we talk about it here each and every week. All the fans are, you know, everyone's invested. So we love screaming at players. We love, you know, getting on coaches and firing this guy and saying this guy sucks. And it's so easy to get just hardened and conditioned to the violence. So we always hear, right? Football is a violence sport. You always see, you know, people always talk about head injuries and such. And unfortunately. 
you know, especially with, with what Tua Tungvalo went, with, uh, went through this year, especially getting hurt against the Bengals in, in ironically, the same field. Uh, earlier in the season, we saw him just kind of tighten up uh, after getting slammed, his head, you know, his head getting slammed to the ground. It's even though we sometimes see some just some real acts of violence where you see what these collisions are, you know, like car wrecks as they're called, you're still conditioned to, okay, let's move on. Tua's getting carted off. And it's okay, now on to the next play. And it's like you, you said, it's just, number one, people, you know, everyone is human. So it's like these players, and you kind of see that right in front of you. It's just, it, it brings you back. And just like I said, it's it's a scary reminder of how dangerous this game is. And at least you hope for fans going forward, it just serves as a reminder of just like what these guys are truly putting on the line and how you, you know, to appreciate them, the person, what they are doing to bring us joy each and every Sunday. Like, again, like I know, like, I just find myself like kind of sometimes taking sports too seriously. At the end of the day, it's not only just a game, but it's also, like I said, one of those where it's a dangerous game. And sometimes just walking off the field in one piece is, is kind of the best thing, win or lose, no matter how the result is. It's like as you're healthy and you can walk off the field on your own power, like we've seen, it's sometimes the biggest win. Yeah. And I'll tell you, there's a really personal connection in that Colts locker room right now. There's a couple of them. Zach Moss obviously was, was DeMar Hamlin's teammate earlier this season before the trade deadline uh, that brought him to Indianapolis. But Rodney Thomas, uh, the rookie safety from Yale, high school teammate of DeMar Hamlin, uh, he drove down Tuesday to the hospital, got to go into the room, uh, said that he, that he held DeMar's hand for a moment, spoke some words to him. Uh, he said that, you know, he, he feels like he knows that he can hear him. Uh, he also said that that he's 100% certain that DeMar is going to walk out of that hospital under his own power, which I think was a really powerful statement. Uh, but just why he's reacting, um, again, it's it's just a normal human emotion. It's it's the same you would expect for any family member dealing with something like this, uh, you know, some kind of tragedy where where somebody's who they care about uh, so much is is fighting for their lives in the hospital. Uh, one thing that I did get from this locker room, you know, there's been a lot of talk about should they postpone the games and, you know, what should the league do moving forward? And, you know, I understand all of that and I understand where that's coming from and, and wanting to kind of honor DeMar and, and, and honor this situation. But the sense I got from the players is they want to play in his honor. They And especially Rodney, um, you know, he's, he specifically mentioned that. It never crossed his mind sitting out Sunday's game. You know, he's 100% committed to going out there and playing for, you know, somebody he considers to be a brother. And I, I, I sense you'd probably get similar answers across the league. And that's just, you know, you go back to it, a football player's mentality where, again, we've seen some scary things and the instinct is to play. And, like you know, at least like we've said so far, at least as we record this on Wednesday, so far no update in terms of, anything drastic but there's slowly some improvement so if you are a believer in prayer so far it seems like it's working if you continue that hopefully so we can get a, a better update on, on damar hamlin sooner rather than later but just a a very scary moment obviously on national tv so it wasn't buried in the one o'clock say so this is something that took over the game you rarely see even just a game in general get postponed or, or delayed or stopped so also too just to see the nfl First, we'll do the right thing. There's been plenty of questions about the NFL and, you know, if they truly care about player safety. And we've seen it many times over where the game just goes on no matter what happens. They said, we're going to continue to play. And it's at least for what is a tragic incident. It's at least nice to see that for the first, you know, first time or one of the smaller times or one of the fewer times, I should say, they put the person, the human being above the game and the uh, and the money. No, absolutely. And, you know, I think there was still, as we were 
this. There, there's at least a chance that the Bills won't play on Sunday. I know that that's still on on the table. I, I understand that completely. I mean, they're a team that that's, you know, they're affected by this more than anybody else. It's affecting the entire league, really affecting, I think, the entire sports world. I don't think it's just the NFL. I think no, you know, yeah. it's across uh, the spectrum. Are, are really, you know, reacting to this. So uh, I can understand if Buffalo, if they determine not to play that game on Sunday, I think that's completely understandable. I, it's unprecedented. You know, I, I guess I think Chris Pronger in the NHL uh, had something like this happen and, and was able to play 12 more years, which is absolutely incredible. Uh, but that's probably the closest thing as far as like major sports go. I know it's happened at a lot of amateur levels and um. I can't imagine. I, I guess I just, I just don't want to sit here and, and judge anybody for their reactions to it right now. You know, I, I mentioned earlier the way Rodney Thomas feels and the sense I get from the Colts locker room. But I think everybody, there is no wrong way to feel about this and there's no wrong way to uh, feel about how things should move forward. I think it's a perfect way to put a bow in this conversation, George, because right, there should be no judgment of feelings. Not saying anyone's doing this, but just overall, like I said, whether the thought, because there's a lot of conflicting, you know, thoughts and opinions on should they play? Should they cancel the game? What should they do with the schedule going, you know, going forward here? Um, but sure, I think it's because everyone handles things differently. And again, this is not a normal injury. It's not like a torn ACL or even unfortunate concussion like we saw with, with the Dolphins and Tua this season. This is something where, like, something we have thankfully really rarely ever seen in sports, but one of those when it does happen, it's jarring. And you see, unfortunately, how sometimes close to death, you know, players who play football are. And everyone, like I said, react differently. Some players are first and think, well, I want to play in honor of DeMar Hamlin. Others want to just kind of grieve and process still what's going on. Like it's for the Bills, like their teammate at the end of the day is still in the hospital, still fighting for his life. So it's also, if you just said it, it's crazy in a sense to think like, okay, well now, you know, you got a game on Sunday against Patriots. Go out there and play focus and go play your best game. It's it's kind of lunacy to kind of think that, like, or think everyone be on the same page in terms of doing that. So, like I said, everyone grieves differently. Everyone kind of reacts to that news differently, and it's yeah, like I said, there's no definitely no room for judgment in terms of how each individual reacts to this because like it's something we've never seen, especially when you're talking about teammates uh, of Demar and Buffalo, or even just the the players on the Bengals side who saw it also with their own eyes, and you're that close situation. It touches you more than, you know, any other team or played with when you're kind of that close to what happened. It, it's very scary. Um, it, it's a, Thankfully, it's something we don't really see too often, uh, rarely ever see, but still, it's just very somber, very chilling reminder of just actually true, truly all the joy the game brings. Like, I was, like ironically enough, I guess I'll say this, like, I was at, so I was at the Rose Bowl. That's part of the reason why I did not do the postgame pod for the Giants game. It was in the air at that time. And so the, the Penn State wins the Rose Bowl really right around the time that this incident happens. And for those of you who've been in the Rose Bowl, you know, but for those who don't, like, there's no service there. So I, had, you're basically cut off from the outside world. So here, like I am, and my friends are celebrating a big Rose Bowl win, obviously a football game, like football brings you that joy. And the same time in this side of the country in Cincinnati, like, you know, you see the pain and the suffering the same sport does bring. It's, so it's an awful reminder, one that we definitely did not need, but one that is, you know, kind of necessary to just show you that the true dangers um, that players uh, do take each and every week to suit up to bring us joy. Um, and this is, like I said, one of the rare times where it, it truly is life or death. We say that phrase a lot, um, but unfortunately, this is one that, like I said, is literally that. So we continue to pray for Damar Hamlin. really hope, like I said, at least on Wednesdays, we're recording this mid-afternoon. No drastic um, updates, just that he's getting a little better. He's starting to breathe on his own a little more compared to being on a ventilator. So obviously, good signs heading in the right direction. 
But as we know, still a long way to go. So we will keep you updated uh, as well on the Blue Horseshoe Pod as we carry throughout the week as well. If we get any um, notes throughout the pod, we'll let you know as, as well. Uh, so, yeah. so we'll take a break here, George. We do return. We will uh, we'll talk about Jim Harbaugh's future as his name is back in the NFL rumors. We'll do that when the Blue Horseshoe Pod returns. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. And welcome back into the Blue Horseshoe Podcast. Reineken, George Bremer here with you. As always, make sure you download, like, and subscribe to wherever you get your podcasts. So, George, a name we've talked about a lot on this podcast when it comes to the next head coach of the Colts has been Michigan head coach Jim Harbaugh. Their season ended on Saturday. What was an insane, insane college football playoff game. Back and forth, TCU does knock out Michigan. So for the second year in a row, Michigan gets the college football playoff and does not win a game. And now, at least I don't know about yourself, George, but I was kind of wondering, is that one of those games that maybe will make Jim Harbaugh want to stay? Like when you get that close, when you had a game that most people were picking Michigan, and I was picking Michigan to win that game, and you lose, you kind of wonder, is okay, is Jim Harbaugh going to think, Ah, eh, you know, I've got what I can, and now two years from we haven't made it. Maybe it's just best for me to move on. I can't really, you know, get over the hump. Or does that inspire him to say, so you know what, I'm we're here, we're knocking, like that was just one to finish. I'm not leaving on that note. And it seems like and instead it's more like the the latter here, or the former, I should say, because the athletic is reporting that basically it's a quote unquote, and they put it, done deal that Jim Harbour will go to the NFL. If he uh, if he does get an offer, so I think we could put to bed at least the, the speculation, George, and the curiosity of actually whether Jim Harbaugh wants to be back in the NFL or whether he would leave Michigan uh, after the season. Seems like that's a resounding yes. Yeah, no, I mean that that seems to be the case right now. Um, yeah, I don't even know how much it has to do with Michigan. I, I get that that's the that's the context we have to put it in, uh, but I don't know if, if anything that happened this season. You kind of touched on that earlier this year on on one of the earlier pods. Uh, the idea that, you know, he interviewed with the Vikings last year coming off a huge upset win over Ohio State in the first college football playoff appearance. So I'm not really sure anything season-wise up to and including winning the national title was going to necessarily, you know, affect affect this decision. I think it's more about how close he was to winning a Super Bowl. You know, being in that game, coaching against your brother, uh, having one of the weirdest Super Bowls, you know, that, that was the power outage year. Yeah. Uh, just one of the most odd Super Bowls in history. Uh, and, and coming up on the short end of that, I think that's what's driving this. Uh, you know, I think he wants to get back in, in the league and prove that that he can win that ultimate prize. Um, I think most coaches, if they're being honest, that's probably what their number one goal is. Not Nick Saban, I would assume. Uh, being That's probably the next best thing is being the absolute king of college football. Although I guess uh, Kirby Smart might argue that, that title right now. Uh, but, you know, I think those if you're at that level – uh, and you're winning national titles on a regular basis, uh, then you're probably not thinking about the NFL. But I think everybody else, if they're being honest, it's in the back of their mind. Could I go and and hoist that Lombardi trophy? Could I win the biggest game there is? And it seems like you said, like that motivation to win a Super Bowl is even right now greater than that motivation to bring your alma mater a national title. Um, and it's interesting, too, because now there's already, at least according to ESPN, been a meeting between Carolina Panthers owner David Tepper and Harbaugh. So it seems like that interest obviously clearly is real and he is ready to, to kind of get back in the game here. 
So you look, at least as we enter the final regular season uh, week here, George, the three openings that are already, you know, already open, they fire the head coach. Obviously, we know the Colts are in that, the Broncos are in that, and the Panthers are in that. Let, for at least right now, before we kind of speculate uh, on which other possible jobs could be open, out of the three jobs that are right now actually open, and we know we'll be interested in Jim Harbaugh because there's been all there's been some sort of connection slash interest for all three teams for for Jim Harbaugh services. Where do the Colts rank out of that? Is it first, second, or third? Would you say? It's really hard to say because I'm not sure what's most important to him right now. Uh, I think from a comfort level, the Colts are at the top because I think uh, he knows Jim Mercey. Obviously, we've talked about this several times on on previous pods. He's got a pre existing relationship with Jim Mercey. Uh, he knows the city. He knows the organization. He knows people in that building. You know, there, there's people who've been there back to his playing days. I think from that standpoint, he knows what he's, he he would know what he's getting into here. It would be similar to when he went back to Michigan in terms of you're changing your environment and you're changing jobs, but you're coming back somewhere uh, where there's not going to be a lot of surprises. You know what I mean? And I do think this roster is uniquely built for him in terms of wanting a power running game, wanting to win with defense. You know, those pieces are either here or they're close. And I'm sure he would look at that and, and think that he can get them over the top in those areas. And I think you've looked at him, you know, he did a really good job in San Francisco with both Alex Smith and Colin Kaepernick. I don't think he would shy away from bringing a young quarterback along, uh, which is likely to happen with, with whatever first round pick the Colts end up with. So I think there's a lot of things from that area to like um, if, if you're Jim Harbaugh. But if money is is the, the bigger motivating factor, and I'm not sure, uh, I think both Denver and Carolina can offer more. Denver's got Walmart money now, you know, they, yeah. they, they've got oh, yeah. deep pockets. Uh, and I, we, David Tepper's shown us before that he's not afraid to, to, to spend big uh, and try to make a big splash. So I'm not surprised that he's already talked with Jim Harbaugh in that regard. I think from, you know, an on the field standpoint, I would feel better about Carolina than Denver uh, just because I think they're closer. They've got all their draft picks. They've got more cap space. You really, I think if you're looking at the Panthers, you're really just concerned with that quarterback spot. If you feel like you can fix that, and maybe he feels like he can do for Sam Darnold what he did for Alex Smith. You know, Darnold had a, a decent finish to this year, and maybe he feels like he can continue that momentum. And I think Carolina, just looking at the record and the way this year's gone, is closer than than any of the three teams uh, right now to being a playoff contender and to winning right away. Uh, and again, you know, I think both Carolina and Denver can offer – substantially more money than the Colts will probably be able to put on the table. I would say out of the three, I put the Colts second right now, but it's actually funny. You have Carolina one. I would actually have Carolina third. Cause like, I think it's, so when you look at so like, there are some advantages with the Panthers, right? I think they're, you can make arguments. This is what we saw this year. They're in the easiest division, right? Usually the AFC South has gotten that uh, moniker for a while, but I mean, look at the Bucks right now in first place and just clinching that division right now at eight and eight. Uh, that's a, a division. You can say it's you, I would say dramatically will not get better next season. So they're in an easier division. You're in an easier conference, right, in the NFC where you don't have to worry about Patrick Holmes and Justin Herbert and Joe Burrow and Josh Allen. The NFC is wide open outside of the 49ers who are looking great. And obviously the Eagles are kind of coming back down earth as well without Jalen Hurts. Other than that, there's not a lot of teams that really scare you. So, and you have a money, uh, an owner, like you said, who has a ton of money in David Tepper. And after the, the failed experiment with Matt Rule, should be extra motivated to kind of get an experienced, successful head coach. So, you, I'm with you. I think money won't be a factor in terms of if Harbaugh wants the biggest bag, Tepper can absolutely give that to him. 
But you mentioned something before. I think that's why I would put Carolina third. And that's it depends what Jim Harbaugh wants to do and how he wants to win. Because you look at his NFL tenure, the 49ers, the four years he was there. The 49ers, from 2011 to 2014, they were top five. Each of those four years, Harbaugh was there in Russia. You know, two, three, four. But basically, I think Jim Harbaugh showed you, even now you look at Michigan and the renaissance from Michigan these last two years, they are now back at the cultural bluff because of the running game, because of the trenches. And basically, they went back to being old, grinded out, tough, physical football um, that Harbaugh had success with. Uh, in San Francisco, and he brought that in Michigan, and that's why two of the best years Michigan had kind of were these last two years when they reinvented themselves. So if I'm, I would project to think Jim Harbaugh is going to kind of favor going to a team that's able to run the ball and run the ball at a successful rate, which right now I look at Carolina, I don't see them with the offensive line and the running backs there able or, or being in the best position out of these three teams to do so. Obviously the Colts, if they can figure out this offensive line, they should be the, the best out of three in terms of running the ball efficiently. John Taylor still is a guy with a lot of talent. They again, this offensive line, I think for me at this point, I would say this. I would say even the Colts team. I don't, would you agree with this, George? At least there's 17, 16 games so far. My conclusion is this: I think this team and this year has gone by the wayside more because of coaching and talent. Like I still think they have talent on this roster. They're not what are they four? The stupid ties kill me. Four eleven and one. They're not four eleven and one because of t- lack of talent. I think they're 4 11 for the most part because of awful coaching. So if you're Jim Harbaugh and you look at this roster saying they have talent, or at least some talent, and all you, you know, the, the biggest thing is going to be instead of injection of young talent, it's going to be just a, a brand new coach philosophy. I think Jim Harbaugh could look at the Colts and say, okay, you know what? That's a, that's a decent spot. I would have the Broncos first. And that's obviously dependent upon how he views Russell Wilson. If, if Jim Harbaugh views someone, uh, Russell Wilson, someone who thinks, you know, I can actually get the best out of him, I can fix him. I think that's an attractive destination because if not, I mean, you're not going to go to somewhere where the quarterback can't be moved for at least two more years. Like you look at Russell Wilson's contract, he's going nowhere next year. He's going nowhere the year after that. Maybe in 2025, you can get rid of him. But you, no sensible head coach uh, and their right mind is going to go to a job and hit quarterback and say, okay, two years from now, we're going to go there and, and you know, we're going to get rid of him. Then I can kind of start my actual, you know, build the team of my identity. If he likes Russell Wilson, he'll get, like I said, the Walmart money, he'll get a lot of money. This is a talented roster in terms of like they, Defensively, especially, they are still a top 10 defense. Uh, Offensively, I think they could improve a little bit, but they have talent there. Depending on how he views Russell Wilson, would, would make me right now, assuming he likes him, I would put Denver right now at number one. I think the other thing, though, that scares me from Denver is you don't have your draft picks. I mean, they're That's all gone to Seattle uh, because, of, because of this deal. And uh, not only are you married to Russell Wilson, but you've got it's it's hurting your cap situation. And you've got you've got talent. Some of that talent's young. You're going to have to re-sign those guys as well. That That's why I, I, I lean more towards Carolina, uh, just because I think you've got more resources in terms of you've got all your draft picks, you've got your money. But I think just this this conversation shows you how difficult it is if you're in Jim Harbaugh's shoes. I mean, it really is what you're looking at. If you're sitting down, like you said, if you're sitting there right now and you believe you can get Russell Wilson back to an MVP caliber quarterback, then you can win the Super Bowl in Denver with what they've got right now. Right. Uh, and, and if he believes that, then Denver absolutely has to be at the top of the list. Uh, you know, if you want the most bang for your buck moving forward, it's probably Carolina in terms of, you know, that owner is going to spend. If, if, if you go in there and you say, I want this free agent or that free agent, I don't think Tepper is going to flinch at any of that. They should have the cap space and the draft picks to do that. So I think you're going to get he might have more control there as well. I don't know. 
not really sure what the general manager situation is there. Uh, but you've got George Payton, who's I think only in his second year in Denver. Uh, so I wouldn't think that that Harbaugh would be able to come in and just run over him. Uh, and obviously Chris Ballard's here in Indy, so he might have the most control personnel-wise in, in in Carolina. And again, Tepper's so desperate to make a splash that I don't think he'd hesitate to just hand it over to Harbaugh if that was a deal breaker. Uh, and, uh, the Indianapolis side of things, I think it's familiarity. You know, how much do you want to come into a situation where you kind of can expect pretty much what you're going to get? You know, you you know. Uh, what the fan base is like, you know, what the roster is, is really, like you said, suited to him in a lot of ways. Uh, there's, there's things that have to be fixed. I don't think we're going to sit here and right, pretend right. that's not the case, uh, but you're not going to walk into a job as, as a new head coach and not have things that need to be fixed. You know, Kansas city, Buffalo, Cincinnati are not popping open. Right. You're going to have issues no matter where you go. Um, so I, I honestly think it's just what, you know, what flavor of ice cream does he prefer in this situation? What does he want to do? Which challenge does he feel like fits him best? I think one thing the Colts have going for them too over Carolina is this fact. When you look at the draft pick, right? Like if when you look at his success in San Francisco, it wasn't just the running game, or maybe I should say a part of the success for the run game was a quarterback, right? Colin Kaepernick was tremendous. And that kind of short time we went, they went from Alex Smith, they brought in Colin Kaepernick, went to the Super Bowl with Colin Kaepernick, who was a guy that was a you know one of the first dual threat kind of guys who still have a lot of you know high level success in San Francisco. Then you go to Michigan last year with Kay McNamara, more of a pocket passer, game manager type, but then they made the switch this year to JJ McCarthy, who's more of a dual threat runner. You saw even the cultural playoff game against CCU. Part of the comeback for Michigan was J.J. McCarthy using his legs, making some big runs. So it's safe to say Jim Harbaugh prefers, I would say, a mobile dual-threat quarterback. And we'll see, obviously, where, where the Colts finish up. But they're going to have a higher draft pick than the Panthers, uh, no matter what you know what happens this weekend. And looking at it in the draft, even if Bryce Young is not there for the Colts, if you're Jim Harbaugh and you say, okay, I want to make my identity with a dual-threat guy, we have Will Levis, you have Anthony Richardson, I don't – I'm still not going to buy that C.J. Stroud is going to use his legs as much as he did in that cultural playoff game against Georgia because that was – he had two years to do so, and outside of that game did not you did not show it. Maybe this is him turning over a new leaf and realizing, I want to be a successful NFL quarterback. I have to start running more. Maybe this is the transformation. I'm not going to bank on one game out of a two-year career being all of a sudden now he's turned the corner. But there are – my point is there's a, a plenty of dual threats high in the draft that the Colts could get that the Panthers, without trading up, will be unable to touch – so again, that could help for the Colts, you know, factor of hey Jim, what kind of quarterback did you like? If we can kind of, you know, cater our offense to which guy you like, it, it could help, you know, be a bigger uh selling point. Said so you go to Carolina, unless you make a massive trade up, you're not gonna probably get the number one quarterback you're looking for uh with where they're gonna be drafting. And that honestly, I think that's the biggest selling point the Colts have is you know, to be able to say, look, uh, you're gonna pick fifth or sixth even if they win on Sunday and, and the Rams lose, they'll, they'll only fall to sixth. So, you know, worst case scenario, you're in five or six right now. You're the number two team in the draft. That's likely to take a quarterback. We can't totally rule out Detroit or Seattle making that decision, but you're the, you're the number two team in the draft order right now. Uh, who quarterbacks at, at the obvious number one spot on your needs list. Um, and, and you've got the ability to move up. And we've been talking several times, several months now here, We've been talking about the opportunity for the Colts to move up in this draft. And if you're in that five or six spot going up to two or three, trading with the Chicago or Seattle uh, to get into one of those spots is not crazy. So I think that's the number one selling point from the Colts standpoint is exactly what you were just talking about, walking in there and telling Jim Harbaugh, 
hey, if you want one of these quarterbacks, you know, one of them's probably going to be off the board because Houston's going to take one of them. But if it, the other three, we can probably make that happen. You know, we've got the assets, we've got the resources, we can probably get you the one of the other three that you feel like you can win with the best. Let me ask you this question, George. You mentioned before about Carolina giving Jim Harbaugh full control and maybe Jim having, if that's what he kind of wants, we know like what, you know, partly what drove him out of San Francisco. Um, if he wants full control, let me ask you this. Would, would Jim Irsay grant that? We know he's made, you know, public statements in the past about Chris Ballard being the GM. If Jim Harbaugh said, I will come here, basically if you fire Chris Ballard and have me do both, do you think what Jim Irsay would do it? That's that's the big unknown to me. I don't know. That would be a really interesting question. And I think a lot of that goes back to one of the other conversations that we've had for a long time on this pod, which is how much has his behavior this this season affected that potential coaching candidate pool? If you feel like your options are Jim Harbaugh and then a deep, steep cliff, then you better do it. You better do whatever it takes to get him in here. Uh, but if you feel like you could win with several guys and you feel like you've got legitimately a lot of good options, uh, then I think it changes the math, you know, in, in your mind that way. Um, but I, that to me is the complete unknown. There, there's a couple really big sort of unanswerable questions in this situation. That one's really close to the top of the list. If if there was an ultimatum, Jim Harbaugh or Chris Ballard, what will Jim Irsay do? That's a really good question. Uh, just the same way as, you know, if you're Jim Harbaugh, are, do you want the money that you can get in Denver or Carolina? Or do you want the roster that you can get in Indy? they're impossible to answer. Two people know that Jim Irsay and, and Jim Harbaugh. Nobody else really has that answer. I would, this is a complete guess. I would say yes, that Jim Harbaugh would get the control. And I think Jim Irsay would make the move of getting rid of Chris Ballard just, be, just because of how we've seen Jim Irsay's affinity for former players. And obviously having Jim Harbaugh's name in the ring of honor, I think he'd have more of a loyalty to Jim Harbaugh than he even would for an outside, if you want to call him that, Chris Ballard, who you hired away from Kansas City. I just, with the way he is treated, and still to this day, and we'll talk about this here in the, in the final segment to close out the show, his affinity and continued push for Jeff Saturday being a legitimate candidate, even though your eyes, the scores, the numbers, everything about this team since he's taken over would suggest otherwise. There's Jim Mercer still trying to tell you Jeff Saturday's a real candidate. He's the guy that we're going to take seriously and actually, you know, actually consider making the permanent head coach. The way he treats and views former players, I just would think that he would have more loyalty towards Jim Harbaugh than even Chris Ballard, despite the fact Ballard's been there now for what six years, going on seven. So that that's that was just, again complete guess, but that's what I would say. It's a good educated guess, you know, and, and I wouldn't disagree with it. Um, I, I would also be interested to see in Harbaugh's situation. Does he really want both positions? Does he want to be the head coach and the GM, or does he would he rather bring in a GM that that he wants to work with? You know, would would he want to bring in a guy uh, who would have that title, but who would be you know, working hand in hand with him. I think that's another interesting situation for him. Uh, one that I think he would almost certainly get in Carolina. Uh, and I'm not as certain that that would happen in Denver. I'm almost certain it wouldn't happen in Denver with George Payton there. Uh, and here, you know, that, that, that's a really good question. It'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Um, I, I know this, and uh, we've been talking about it for a while. Next week's going to be a really interesting week with this organization. Uh, and, and that will undoubtedly be part of that equation. Without it, this is going to be – I wonder how fast this goes because we saw – what was it in late January, I believe, was the Vikings interview. Um, I think it was on National Sign Day, actually, ironically enough. So maybe it was even February when the, when the Vikings interview happened. So it's like that was it took a long time for, for kind of Jim Harbaugh to even get one interview with the Vikings. I wonder now if there's seemingly more interest how fast it's going to go. But 
Seems like it's going to be a sprint, George. That's going to, these next uh, this week is going to be very fascinating upcoming here to see the Harbaugh sweepstakes. If we get any leaks of which teams he's favoring, uh, which teams are you know interested in hiring him. One wild card I want to throw out here quickly because we just kind of talked about the, the Broncos, Panthers, and Colts. One wild card that I think could trump all three of these teams really fast here if it comes open. I wonder if Tampa Bay, because I was uh, Charles Roberts of Yahoo Sports made an interesting point uh, on a podcast he had recently, was that if Tom Brady stays, which is a big if, right? Most people are saying he's going to go, maybe a small chance he stays. But he just mentioned if Tom Brady does actually leave, or stay in Tampa, I should say, excuse me, stay in Tampa, offensive changes are coming, or offensive coaching staff changes are coming. Maybe that means Todd Bowles, maybe that means Byron Leftwich. I wonder if you if you are Jim Harbaugh and Tom Brady sitting there in Tampa, if that kind of that little one or two year window trumps anything else right now that's open. I would. I mean, if if your goal is to win the Super Bowl, and that's what we're all assuming is the motivation here, uh, it's hard to imagine anything else. Yeah. Outside of just you know a, a gigantic paycheck, with Michigan's giving a pretty big one as it is, and I'm sure we'll continue to 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 give him raises. Uh, you know, if your goal is the Super Bowl, and that's what's driving this. Then I Tampa would have to jump to the right to the to the top of the list uh, because obviously you got Tom Brady, you've got a very winnable division. You can figure out some of the things that went wrong with that offense this year. Um, that's the one spot you could walk in and 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 conceivably be a Super Bowl contender in 2023. I don't think any of these other three three teams we're talking about realistically are you talking about going to the Super Bowl next year. Tampa, you could that that's not a pipe dream at all. Totally agree. I totally agree. And I'm sure Tom Brady would welcome some semblance of a, a run game as well next year. Kind of take a little bit of pressure uh, off of him as well. So horrible watch is going to be in full effect. But at least now, according to reports, it seems like any speculation or any questions of if he actually would leave Michigan this offseason are put to bed. Again, the Athletic reporting that it's a done deal, basically, quote unquote, that Jim Harbaugh will go to the NFL if offered. And obviously, as we know, he did have a conversation with the Panthers as well to kind of get that ball rolling. So Black Monday is going to be swift. We know three three job openings are already there for the taking for Jim Harbaugh between the Broncos, Colts, and Panthers. See whatever else opens up here. But it's going to be, it's going to be a, a fascinating race to see outside of Sean Payton, probably the, the hottest commodity maybe on the market. All right, when we return here on the Blue Horseshoe Pod, speaking of the Colts head coaching candidacy, Again, you have Ian Rappaport before Sunday's game against the Giants say that Jim Mersey is pounding the table and says Jeff Saturday is an actual candidate. There's one thing we saw on Sunday that absolutely should make Jeff Saturday out of the head coach running. We'll tell you who that is when the Blue Horseshoe Pod returns. And welcome back into the Blue Horseshoe Podcast. Ryan Nicky and George Berman here with you. As always, make sure you download and subscribe to the Blue Horseshoe Pod wherever you do get your podcasts. So, George, let's talk about Jeff Saturday. Because in order for the Colts to hire Jim Harbaugh or any other head coach uh, on them or assistant coach on the market, first got to have an opening. And I know they technically fired Frank Reich, but right now the interim Jeff Saturday being there. For whatever reason, Jim Mercer continues. And the latest report came from NFL Network's Ian Rapport before Sunday's game against the Giants saying that Jeff Saturday is a serious candidate for the head for the permanent head coaching job of the Colts. Sunday was no shocker, a debacle. Giants smoked the smoked the Colts. They could they get a plow spot and the Colts could embarrass themselves yet again. But you say what you like, there's a lot of things that should disqualify Jeff Saturday from being a head coach, right? Right, George? I think we can easily say team's gotten worse every single game. They're on a five-game losing streak. The the everything's gone bad. This team is not fighting whatsoever. But I think the one thing that we saw on Sunday that maybe should or definitely should exclude him, if you want to just ignore all the numbers, like seemingly Jim Mercer is ignoring all the numbers because still saying he's a, he's a strong candidate for the job anyway, is the fact that when Nick Foles went down, 
And he was sacked by Kayvon Thibodeau right before the half and is writhing in pain. And you have Kayvon Thibodeau doing snow angels right next to what at that point was a corpse of Nick Foles. And nobody is doing anything. You have you have Will Fry standing there. You have Ryan Keller standing there. You have Bernard Ryman standing there. You have, you have Quentin Nelson standing there. All looking at Nick Foles writhing in pain. Well, right next to him, inches away, is Kayvon Thibodeau doing snow angels what it felt like for an hour. I, I swear, George, he was there for forever. And no one did anything. That right there, right then and there, the fact that no one had Nick Foles' back in that situation should automatically disqualify Jeff Saturday from being the head coach going forward. And Frank, if they already didn't fire uh, uh, Frank Reich, if they already basically weren't short-staffed as his head coach with everyone leaving slash getting fired, you should have fired Jeff Saturday right then and there. Because if you can't get your players to fight for each other, then what are you doing? Like, like you, you can't be head coach. No, uh, that to me, we, we talked about, you know, when he got hired that, that, that we felt like it was an uphill battle, you know, for him to prove anything this year, you obviously weren't coming in and changing the offense. You weren't coming in and changing the defense. You weren't coming in and, and making any kind of, uh, significant alterations to this roster. Um, he obviously has changed quarterbacks a few times, gone through all three of them now, um, you know, there's been some other minor tweaks here and there that he could do. But the one thing that, that Jim Irsay talked about in that disastrous introductory press conference <laughs> was that he's a leader of men, you know, and I think that was the that was the one that you could hang on. And that's the one thing that we could kind of judge him on. And, and we talked about, you know, the win over the Raiders. Hey, you saw a little bit of that. You came out and they had a little bit of fire. But I'll tell you, as the weeks go by, I think that was more and more just just professional pride from that team. A lot of those guys talked that week about, when your head coach gets fired, you feel like you failed, you know, because obviously your coach got fired. You had something to do with that. And I think that's what we saw against the Raiders was them saying, look, we're going to take some ownership for what we did. Uh, but as the season's gone on, that's worn off, you know, with, with each passing week. Uh, and now I agree with you hundred percent. When, when you see the offense, well, the offense, the entire offense, the line first and foremost, because it's their job to protect the quarterback. I would imagine there's 30 other lines that would have started a brawl in that situation, uh, that there would have been a full-out bench-clearing brawl, and it would have been a lineman that got it started. Um, but the offense in general, I mean, anybody, Jelani Woods was in that neighborhood. He's a rookie, so maybe give him a little bit of a pass. Um, but anybody on offense had the opportunity to go in there and take issue with what Kayvon Thibodeau was doing, uh, and they didn't. You know, And I think a lot of that goes back to that this team's disconnected right now. I think you saw it in that moment. It's not that they don't care about each other. I just think they're they're mentally fatigued. They are checked out in a lot of ways. Uh, again, as we were talking about in the first segment, it's a completely different circumstance. But it's human nature. This this season's been through a lot this year. Uh, all the head coaching firings, all the shufflings at quarterback, trading of one of their pop, most popular teammates, you know, firing of, of Marcus Brady. Um, but I think it's evident that the head coach has not been able to keep that ship together you know, to keep it as, as, as a tight bond. I, I'm not, in, in fairness to Jeff Saturday, I'm not sure anybody could have done it in this situation, uh, but he didn't. And, it, yeah, it goes right up there. To me, though, it's just on, on on what's really a pile of evidence that, that's hard to refute. One of the biggest stats to me, and this is just mind-blowing, if you just take the point differential in the time that Jeff Saturday's been here, the seven games when they're one and six, the Colts oh, would have be tied for the third worst point differential in the NFL in a seven game sample. Everybody else having 15 games, 16 games, 
his seven game sample would be tied for third worst in the NFL. I don't need another stat than that, honestly. Right. But it, you put to me the the situation with Nick Foles was a cherry on the Sunday, and I don't, you know, I'm not saying this to 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 question anybody's character. There's been a lot of that going around. I don't think that's the issue here. I think it's an issue of leadership and of can you keep this team together in, in this moment? I think these guys are ready, like the fans and the media, and and pretty much everybody else. They're just ready to get into this offseason and and move on to whatever's next. I mean, I would make like I'm not trying to be a person of the moment here, George, but it's just like it's still as we say here Wednesday, so three days removed from it, still replaying on mine. It's one of, and I'd even maybe argue the most embarrassing moment of the season in what has been a laundry list of embarrassing moments and that continue to what up each other. Just because again, this was like the only thing we could judge him on, like I said, is leadership and, and getting guys at least inspired to play. Whether you win or lose is one thing, but at least if you guys have, if you are able to get the guys competing, that that's at that point, if you're Jeff Saturday, you can't ask for anything else, right? We, we mentioned it and you mentioned it too. He's not controlling, he's not changing any personnel, he's not changing the way that the play callings go. He really can't do much. One of the only things he could have done is get guys inspired, get guys, you know, play hard for the play out the string and just kind of keep going. And like I said, we, the last game day pod we did was the Chargers one. And we talked about what, George, how this team for the first time, why you feel like they checked out. And we didn't on the preview pod uh, leading to the Giants game. We talked about we don't really expect much different. Like if you're if you can't get up for a Monday night game, and play spoiler to a team of the Chargers that was playing for a play, their playoff lives and were able to clinch a playoff spot on your home field. On a nationally televised game, even with Nick Foles starting, you can make your own, you know, H player, I'm sure, would disagree with that move or have their own thoughts on that quarterback move. If you can't get up for that game, no way we thought that they'll be able to get up for a Giants game, who, again, same thing, you can play spoiler for and, and ruin their New Year's Day and ruin their plans for partying to get into the playoffs based on, on the win over you. And now two weeks in a row, teams playing for high stakes. The Colts not only just go out there lifeless, like I said, they're getting pushed. Like, it's embarrassing. The Giants, are, like, I know they're going to playoffs. The Giants are not even that good of a team. And it's like, here they are, like, just, just pushing you around, make, basically making fun of you to your face, and everyone's standing there watching, like, like, oh, okay, like, what are we going to do? Like, okay, shrug the shoulders, let's walk back to the sideline, hang our heads, and then just kind of play, and basically look at the minutes and, and count down the time so we can get out of here and get on a flight back home. It's embarrassing. It's flat out embarrassing. I said, you, if you were Jim Mercy, you cannot, cannot, just on that fact alone of what we saw uh, or how the team didn't respond to Nick Foles getting crushed. That should tell you all you need to know about, about Jeff Saturday's candidacy. And, like, I say this kind of half-joking because uh, I'll just never be able to get up. Like, if, if Jeff Saturday is truly the head coach next year, I have to give my coach fandom. But, like, honestly, I, I don't know how you can root for this team if the owner is saying, oh, this is the guy that's going to fix fix our team going forward here. It's a joke. I'm telling you, Caleb Williams. I mean, that's the only that's the only thing I can throw out there uh, for that situation. But no, in all honesty and in seriousness, I mean, we didn't have the post game pod. Uh, but you want to talk about some of the ugliness from that game in terms of you know how bad this loss was. Uh, it was the most points scored by the Giants in 44 games, I believe. Huh. Um, you coming into that game, they were one four and one in their last six games, and during that stretch, they've been outscored by 42 points. Uh, and you lost by 28, you know, and it was never it, much like the Chargers game. Even when the Colts were ahead three to nothing, we're not even going to talk about kicking a field goal on fourth and one and from the five yard line. Um, even when they were at three to nothing, I don't think there was ever a feeling of Giants are in trouble. You know, the Colts are here and and, and, and they've brought a lot of energy and, and they're fired up and they're, they're going to spoil this game. Uh, I think from from opening kickoff, it felt like the Giants were going to win. 
uh, and nothing that happened in the 60 minutes following that uh, change, change your opinion in, in any way. I mean, I, it was, I think late in the second quarter, the Giants fans were, were kind of already starting to party in the, in the stands and, you know, tasting that first playoff trip in six years. But those kind of things to me, the fact that it's, you know, the, the most points scored by the Giants in 44 games, the fact that a team that had been outscored by 42 points in, in its previous six games outscores you by 28. And, and it, I, just, I can't get over the point differential thing. In seven games, you're tied for third for the worst point differential in, in the league uh, with teams that played 16 games. Look, there's nobody. There's one rationale that brings Jeff Saturday back, and it's Jim Irsay. That's it. I mean, and that's not again. That's not a personal attack on on Jeff Saturday. We said when he was hired uh, that there was not a whole lot of reason for him to be the full time head coach. You know, you bring him in here and you try to get spark. I think your line all that time, and it was 100 percent correct. Was whatever he can do for the offensive line, that's his legacy here come in, get the offensive line going, and, and get them back on the right track. Uh, and that that's really what could be expected. Um, at this point, if they roll them back out there now, and congratulations to Jeff, you're one of 32, you know. Um, but the the only rationale at this point is is Jim Ursay just wanting to be proven right, you know, not wanting to to, to give in to the to the firestorm that, that, that cascaded down on him. Uh, when this decision was made initially with the interim job. Um, that's it. And that's not a good reason to hire a head coach in this league. And we talked about the biggest impact they said could be on the offensive line and the lasting legacy for a guy, by the way, who's a fire player himself, right? That, that you know, mm. we've seen him and Peyton Manning go bad at, at it many times. So it's not like Jeff Sider is one of these quiet guys. He was, a, as a player himself, was always, you know, the, the prototypical quintessential offensive lineman that would always protect the quarterback no matter what. It's, br- it's awful. It's a really bad look to oh. see the unit that you used to play be as lifeless as they were. I guarantee you there would have been a, a benches clearing brawl if Jeff Saturday had been on the field, you know, not on the sideline. Right. If, if he had been on the field and seen that happen, I and he was very careful uh, both today and or Wednesday as we're recording this and Monday when he talked about this situation, um, he was very careful uh, not to take shots at his own lineman, but he made it abundantly clear that he was not happy with the way the offense responded to this. Uh, he said that he did have a talk with them today about it. I'm certain he did. Um, he also made it abundantly clear his feelings on the celebration. I think people in the national media characterized that wrongly. He didn't take any shots at Kayvon Thibodeau personally. He said that celebration was tasteless and trash. And I think, honestly, probably 30 other teams would agree with that. The Giants might defend Thibodeau. Uh, I would think the other 30 teams in the NFL would agree that there's no need to be doing that, especially, I, you know, when when uh, Foles went down, that was pretty scary. I mean, he was kind of convulsing there for, I don't know if you saw it live. I'm not sure if you were in the air at that point or not, uh, but he landed pretty much, it looked like he landed on the point of the football uh, with his ribs. And he was rolling in obvious pain. He's kind of convulsing a little bit on the field. And I was, for a couple minutes, I was pretty concerned about what it was. You first thought before you see the replay is, you know, is it a neck injury? And that, that you're always worried about that. Uh, and then not the ribs is much better, but it's certainly right. a, a far step up from paralyzation or anything like that, that that's going through your mind at the moment. Um, it was a very frightening moment, I thought, you know, as it happened. And then once you saw him get carted off and he was fine uh, going back to the locker room in terms of, you know, being alert and being able to move and all of that, I started feeling a lot better, but 
it's Jeff Saturday made it very clear, you know, how he felt about that. Um, Isn't it too little, too late though, George? Like, yeah, it is well, strong, again, because like, yeah, you, as a coach, you got to make it happen on the field. You can't, right. you know, it, it's the same way as after a game saying I didn't get them prepared and it, it's on me. I made the wrong call in the moment or, you know, I didn't, I wasn't prepared for this defense or this offense or whatever. To me, it's the same way. You know, you don't get any points for that. You certainly don't get any points for coming out after this moment and saying uh, that the offense should have responded differently. Right. It's like one of the things where it should already kind of be ingrained in it, especially with the way he was as a player. Like that should have been something that one of the few teaching points he could have made was, hey, fight for your guys no matter what's going on. Like no one's going to push us around or no one's going to embarrass us. And I said when, the, when that moment came for the first time this year, you saw the Colts react. I think that's to me a direct reflection on coaching and reflect, uh, direct reflection on Jeff Saturday, the head coach. Now let's finish off with this because as we are recording, the Giants had their media availability on Wednesday and Kayvon Thibodeau was able to respond to Jeff Saturday's tasteless and trash celebration comments. Like you mentioned, you characterize it perfectly. He's not taking a shot at the player who's taking a shot at the celebration in and of itself. Separate. Uh, and Kayvon Thibodeau, this is an interesting response. He said, quote, I don't know who he is talking about Jeff Saturday. I'm not really too concerned about people who comment on me and I don't know them, end quote. I have a hard time believing like that. Like that's like, come on. Kayvon Thibodeau was what, 22 years old. So he basically about a decade ago when Jeff Saturday hung it up, he's, you know, 11, 12, kind of in the prime years of love and football. There's no way you don't know who Jeff Saturday is. That, that's a weak response. I will say this, that celebration right next to an injured quarterback in this comment, um, it does kind of point the, the red flags about him coming out of LSU or Oregon. Uh, it, it sort of highlights those a little bit. You heard a lot of that in the draft process, and there were a lot of questions about, you know, is is this real? I think there were things that, that were said about him in, in his potential character, and I think you see it now. So uh, Jeff Saturday did not take a shot at Kayvon Thibodeau. I am taking a shot at Kayvon Thibodeau right now. I, I think to do that and to be unapologetic about it, especially now, I, mean, I don't think it was very defensible in the moment, honestly, uh, because you should have known the quarterback was injured. but how many days have we gone now? 72 hours past this game as we're talking now, plus to still be unapologetic, to still not be able to say, hey, you know what, my bad, I'm sorry. I, I probably shouldn't have done that. I, Not a guy I'd want on my football team, I'll just say that. I'm not trying to defend him. I guess what I'm just trying to like wonder is how, like, he made a sack. Like, how Do you think he knew in the moment? I guess that's the only way to, I guess, really try to. I don't know if he knew immediately, but like you said, it went on for quite a while. And and Nick Foles was pretty obviously in pain next to him. It's not like it was, you know, there there were a quadrant of people in between them. Um, But even if he didn't know on the field, I mean, and that's my whole point. You can, I don't think it was very defensible on Sunday, but even if you accept that possibility, which is a real possibility that he didn't know what happened, he sure knows by now. You know, and and to make that kind of response to, to what Jeff Saturday said and not to take any ownership for your own actions. I mean, even if even if his answer today would have just been, you know, hey, I don't agree with that statement, but I am upset. You know, if, if I had known that, that Nick Foles was injured, I, I might have behaved differently. That to me is a totally different thing to come out today and to basically say, oh, you know, this is a nobody. And and why do I care? I I, I find that tasteless. Yeah, I have a. I also, I guess what I'll say is, you have seventy-two hours. Like I said, 
if you're going to be defiant and if you're going to back up your actions and try to not take accountability, come up with a better retort than just, I don't know who that is. Like, like you know who Jeff said. I, I'm sorry. It's just, I, I, I hate, because I feel like we hear people say it all the time. Like, oh, I don't care. You know, I don't know who that guy is. Um, I, I'm not going to worry about him. I forget what player it was. Oh, now I wish I knew. But there was someone who, Shannon Sharp took a shot at someone. And because I'm like, who are you to like comment on like my play? And like they had no idea who Shannon Sharp was until like I'm like, oh, actually, never mind. You know, you're right there. It's just one of those like you gotta know, you gotta. And again, if you're gonna just, if you want to stand in your, gotta stand your ground, have a better response than just I don't know this. That, that's yeah. a, I mean, but I absolutely, mean, and it wasn't a dirty play. I mean, it was absolutely that's fine. Everything about it. the like, hit was absolutely fine. Um, you know, it's just. Come on, man. I guess that's my biggest thing is I don't think like it was a clean hit. It wasn't dirty. I think we have seen plenty of players celebrate like one of those big hits where, you know, receivers or running backs are like kind of blindsided and they go down and they're writhing in pain. We see plenty of guys like flexing their muscles and going crazy. So it wasn't like one of those, like we've never seen like something like that before. I will say that was the first time where they're like inches apart that you see someone celebrate that close. But so I, I have bigger issues with Jeff Saturday's coaching mm-hmm. and, and the offensive line and the Colts response. I'll say, I guess I'll put it that way. I have a, a way bigger issue with the Colts response as a team. And then Jeff Saturday's response to Nick Foles riding their pain and then doing nothing on Kayvon Thibodeau. than Kayvon Thibodeau's response of basically kind of standing his ground. No, I, I agree hundred percent. It's, it's far worse uh, that the Colts didn't do anything in the moment than it is, you know, whatever Tavon Thibodeau is saying now, I just, to me, I just find that to be weak, like you said. Uh, and obviously he won't care because he doesn't know who I am, so that's okay. So that 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 response for that for Jeff Saturday can also apply to George, George River as well. Oh, uh, that's, a, that's a fitting way to, to end the pod on this Wednesday for sure. So as always, make sure you are subscribing and downloading to the Blue Horseshoe Pod. We will be back. We'll be recording early on Thursday morning here and a little tease ahead. But we talked a lot about Jim Harbaugh and his candidacy. George does have a mystery, maybe surprise, we'll say, head coaching candidate whose name he believes maybe will be in the mix as early as next week. So we'll drop that one and kind of discuss the viability of this certain possible head coach candidate on the preview edition of the Blue Horseshoe Pod that will come out either late Thursday or early Friday. And, of course, George, we got to preview the biggest game of the season Colts, Texans, week 18. I don't know why it's not on Sunday night or, or even on, on Saturday during one of those two isolated windows, but no better way to end the season than the four-win Colts taking on the two-win Texans in a game in which neither side, realistic for the draft, wants to win. I heard somebody say, you know, put it on Thursday. I'm all for that. Get it over with as, as quick as possible. It should have been the Thursday night game, a special <laughs> Thursday night uh, edition. But, no, um, I will just to, to add to the tease, I will say this. So it's a coach with a, a Super Bowl on his resume, Super Bowl Ooh. appearance on his resume. Nice. Really, really kind of getting a, a juicy teaser. I like that. So make sure you download, subscribe so you don't miss that episode. That'll be coming out next right here on the Blue Horseshoe Pod. So have a great rest of your week. We'll talk to you soon on the Blue Horseshoe Podcast.